Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, no longer fashion reporter, but senior fashion reporter. Uh, and I'm joined today by both of my co-hosts, um, Editor-in-Chief Jill Manoff and fashion reporter Zofia Zviglinska is here. We're going to talk about the biggest news of the week, which is the very sad passing of Virgil Abloh. We will also talk a little bit about some of the results from Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And finally, Zofia will fill us in with a report from the Glossy Leaders Breakfast in London from this week, which was our first ever UK event. So Zofia will give us a little summary of what went on there. Jill, thank you for being here. How are you? Hey, congrats on the big promotion. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, we'll start with the the biggest and, and saddest story, and then we'll get into some of the other stuff. But um, yeah, over the weekend, Virgil Abloh passed away. I was out shopping and got the notification and Jill, you and I immediately started talking about it. We ran, I, I don't know where you were, but I ran home and we started working on, you know, writing about it, but it was just completely out of nowhere. I mean, I, I, I think nobody knew it just was completely caught me off guard. I, w- I was utterly, utterly shocked. What about you? What was your reaction when you saw? Yeah, shock and yeah, disbelief. Obviously, nobody knew he was sick. And, you know, I saw an image, his image come up with sorry to report. And I just immediately thought it was somebody, you know, in his um, network or inner circle of creatives, or maybe they were just like referencing him for for another reason. I was shocked. I immediately dug in. You immediately saw the um, the the Instagram posts um, paying their respects, honoring him and his his genius. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the way that the fashion community like embraced and celebrated and everybody seems to have their own story about how he touched them or, or um, connected with them and, and just how personal he was and made time for everyone, it seems. I, I don't know how he did it all. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, he struck me as um, somebody who was very, um, and I mean this in a good way, not very like PR trained, you know, like it, the kind of person who could would just say, you know, whatever he actually believed and not try to like, you know, try to say the right sound bites um, and, and, you know, not cause controversy. Um, not that he was like a controversial guy, but you know what I mean? He just, you know, had no problem. Like I, I had so many people posted like just casual DMs with him. You know, it seems like he was very open. And I think that's evident in a lot of his work as well. I mean, I wrote about this in our story about Virgil for, um, for Monday is that like collaboration and openness and just like, you know, the permeability of like designs and, and things and ideas was like a huge part of his philosophy, you know, to the point that that some people were not always happy with how free he was with combining things and mixing things together. But in general, I, I think that his focus on collaboration and, and bringing ideas from different people in different places together was like a massive, massive part of his success and is very influential on fashion in general, like as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, took collaboration and the idea of collaboration to another level. And like you said, not trained in PR necessarily like like your uh, typical fashion designer that that's gone through the traditional path. He didn't have a traditional path. We know that he was a DJ, a musician, a furniture designer, um, architecture architect. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, really, I think that he did, um, that, that came off in, in how he approached media and, and the way he spoke, but also like in his designs, everyone is trying to do, um, this 
uh, way they're reflecting culture in their work. And, and it comes off as, as very um, often disingenuous or like nice try. Um, but the way that he did it, it resonated every time because it actually I don't know if it's every time, but it, it seemed to resonate um, just because uh, he was so clued into culture. And um, it was it just yeah, it was genuine. Yeah. And, and I think it's especially sad that he really was just like at the top of the top, you know, like he was the most like um, widely acclaimed designer at like one of the biggest uh, like luxury fashion brands, like at the peak of his career, you know, it just is like, you couldn't, you couldn't make it like more tragic, you know, it's, it's just like the worst possible time he was, he, and he had been around long enough to be like a thoroughly established name, but also still like just really young and like very clearly like still had so much more to do so I mean not to belabor the point but it really was just you know cut short of very 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 prom promising for the future and already very established career you know? exactly and like you said top of his game um he had just not only head of menswear at Louis, Vitt Louis Vuitton at LVMH had just expanded his role where he had his mm -hmm. hands in uh every one of their brands or, or more of their brands as a, it was a little unclear, maybe a consultant, but definitely could, could mm -hmm. um, help to, to shape those brands as well in the same way that uh, the same impactful way that he, he did on the menswear and at Louis Vuitton. Yeah. And, and one more thing on, on Virgil, um, we, we've talked about this a little bit, Joe, but I think that he was really emblematic of um the evolution of like a fashion creative director and like what they can do. And this is, I was, this is a story I'm kind of working on uh, for a little bit, but just the fact that he was working at Louis Vuitton, he was working at Off-White, but at the same time he was doing a million other things with a million other people. And I think that's just, that's a lot more common now. There's a lot of designers and creative directors who are sort of in that same boat where they're working for their brand, like that they work at. And then, you know, consulting on something not even fashion related with you know some totally different company and doing things all over the place and that was a, a big part of his style and I, I think that's very influential as well yeah we are seeing that more and more and I think that um, that's going to change I guess the way that that brands operate in terms of requiring that ex exclusivity I don't I don't think a lot of creatives are going to want to feel kind of I guess stifled in terms of just focusing mm -hmm. on one brand um, okay, next I want to talk a little bit about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We're a few days out from it now, and everyone always has very high expectations, and everybody loves to trumpet the numbers and stuff. Um, I think uh, from what I saw, this is the first year that Black Friday spending has been less than the year before, like, ever. Is that true? Is that right, Joe? I don't know about ever, but I do know it was like womp, womp, for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really a disappointing, disappointing I think it was 8.9 billion in spending this year compared to 9 billion last year. So I saw a couple of reasons for that, like possibly because everybody was doing holiday shopping earlier and stuff. But wasn't that the same thing last year? Like, didn't everybody do their holiday shopping early last year, too? I don't know if I buy that, you know? Yeah, there are a couple of different, I guess, factors at hand and that everything was online last year. Uh, this year, uh, Black Friday, it, online sales were down, but there were more people in store. And yet it wasn't 
as many people that were shopping in store as 2019, which is no surprise. Um, so yeah, it's wild. Just it, we we talked about this with Alibaba and Singles Day, and you know they were trying to downplay the numbers. Um, here, I don't think it was strategic in terms of saying <laughs> sales <laughs> are down, um, but they they were down. It it was an impressive um, and. We we talk we have many stories in terms of how brands were trying to um, not only prepare their customer but but yeah I guess give them more um, access to their products outside of just the usual Black Friday Cyber Monday sales rush. Uh, you did that great story about Draper James was opening stores. We know Skims mm-hmm. open pop ups. Um, so I mean people are pushing gift cards. It's like maybe we don't see the same like product sales or the same. Um, I don't know, way means that people are getting their gifts. But um, anyway, it's spread more thin. It's not one wham, bam sales, period. Yeah, I think that's sort of inevitable when they sort of, you know, people have talked about how Black Friday used to be one day and then they added Cyber Monday and then Cyber Monday became like Cyber Week and then kind of just became like all of November and then, you know what, all of December too. So it just like turns into this longer and longer thing. And, and I think an inevitable part of that is just you're not going to get like one specific day with like big, crazy numbers. Um, I mean, obviously, Black Friday, probably more than other days. But like, like you said, if it gets spread out like that, then just the numbers are going to be lower. You know? Yeah, I'll, I'd be more interested in Q4 sales overall. I think the one yeah. bright spot that I heard or overly positive was Amazon, um, which obviously they're taking more of the market share and their sales were up they're, They were posting record Thanksgiving weekend sales, which I don't know if they ever uh, revealed exact, you know, a number value behind that, um, just record. Um, and somebody reported that they're, um, they were responsible for nearly 18% of Black Friday dollars, which, hello, that's wild. Anyway, but yeah, that doesn't just span, you know, beauty and fashion, which is, uh, is our focus. It's electronics and I don't know, hair dryers and fire sticks, <laughs> but still, I mean, it'll be interesting to see when, uh, if people get their goods, uh, I've, I haven't done my shopping. I, <laughs> I'm freaking out. Um, you, you know what I did was this, like the small business Saturday, like thing in my neighborhood, there was a bunch of small businesses that all had like, uh, they like all partnered and you had a like bingo sheet kind of, and you went to each one and they got a stamp and stuff. Um, and so I don't know if that, how widespread stuff like that is, but I think probably a combination of, you know, things like that, um, brands and stores, like wanting to do less discounting and more like, you know, like you said, the Draper James thing, or the various brands I talked to last week for this anti-Black Friday story who are like, you know, purposely sitting out of it. Like, I don't think any one of those things is really enough to counteract just how much people spend on Black Friday, but Altogether, you know, that that could be enough to sort of break it up a little bit. For sure. And in, in addition to the gift cards, I have heard of some kind of innovative or interesting things that uh, brands and, and tech companies, there's a, a company called Nate that's an AI shopping app. Um, and typically it's just to facilitate shopping on any site. Like you can just click on, on Instagram or wh- whatever site you're on and you can just you can shop through one app. Anyway, they're they're facilitating gifting where you can send a link to somebody. They can pick their own uh, size and they can pick. It's basically a gift card, but um, they're really pushing that for a holiday to say, you don't know if they're going to get their gift. Put the kind of the power in the, the giftees' hands. Let them, um, basically, they can 
order it. You gave you did your part. You gifted them and they can wait around and see when they get it. it may not be on Christmas. All right. And so for our last topic of the day, we have Zofia Zviglinska here. Zofia, you were at the Glossy Leaders Breakfast in London this week, right? How was that? Yeah, it's our first UK event. It's also the first time we've had a Glossy reporter based in the UK. So um, it's been great to have you. It's a whole new uh, like region for us to explore. It's been very annoying for me based in New York to try and like get people on the phone in the UK. So I'm very glad that you're there. Um, tell us about the event. Um, I, we're going to keep it sort of uh, no names, no brands, just because it was off the record. But I'd love to hear some of what you heard from, uh, you know, people in UK fashion. I'd love to hear what the what the conversation was like. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we had um, representatives from 10 brands. Um, and I think it's definitely interesting to see how they all kind of um, approach the different challenges kind of post-pandemic um, and also in the last year with all of the kind of supply chain issues that there's been going on um, and they definitely raised up a lot of very similar points so there was issues with stock um, there was definitely some problems with adopting sustainability strategies and kind of making sure that they were using the right ones um, and then also like an early tech adoption as well. They were talking about how um, there was a lot of interest in tech from like a media perspective, but not so much from the consumer side. And I think that's what we actually zeroed in on at the end. There was a lot of kind of insight from consumers was definitely needed more. Um, and I think a lot of them would probably go away from the breakfast looking to to do kind of more panels and things to to get more insight from their consumers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's anything like some of the the U.S. glossy events I've been to recently, I feel like supply chain has been one of the biggest things people have talked about. Um, I remember at the Miami glossy event in October, there was a long and very fruitful discussion about um, the different carriers like FedEx and UPS and DHL and all that kind of stuff and how frustrating it's been to work with some of them. Um, did that come up at all, like those specific carriers and frustrations with them? Um, I don't think so, because I think there would be probably different ones in the UK, and they didn't actually mention anyone specific, but they did talk about kind of nearshoring and offshoring and like how there would be differences from the way that they operated a year ago to, to how they're looking at their business now and definitely bringing production closer, um, especially in light of Brexit as well, has, has been a kind of key topic for, for UK brands and the ones that there were there at the breakfast. Yeah, definitely. I I would love to hear more about the conversation about Brexit, um, just because I, as from a U, U.S. perspective, I feel like I have been hearing about Brexit for like years now, and just never know what exactly is going on in, in over there. It sounds very chaotic. Um, what were some of the conversations like about that? Like, what what problems are people seeing? Yeah, so the main issue with Brexit was that obviously there was a lot of kind of problems with, you know, how will production kind of go on once um, the UK would actually physically leave the, the EU. Um, and I think a lot of the brands were involved in, in some of the petitions. I think there was some petitions brought forward by major fashion brands and the BFC um, to kind of address the, um, the impact it was having on the British fashion industry. Um, I'm not sure what the takeaways were from that but I think that there weren't that many because I haven't heard about it that much and um, I think they're still kind of addressing all of those issues even a year on 
obviously compounded by the regular supply issues that everyone else has been facing. I think there's kind of been a double whammy. So um, definitely an issue um, for many, many of the brands that were there. Have there been delays in like production and and shipping through like by sea? Because I I know in the U.S. the the West Coast ports have been just like totally congested for like months and months and months now. Um, are there are there issues in the UK right now in terms of importing and exporting goods and getting stuff in and out of the country? I think that there have been. Um, I do think that most of the brands that were at the breakfast are sitting on stock. So I do think that they have availability for all of their products in the UK. But they did talk a little bit about um, what it was kind of like working with producers in Italy. Um, I think it was further along in, in Europe as well. But obviously, because the kind of supply chain is relatively shorter compared to the US, it does mean that most of the kind of bigger freight issues are avoided because all of the luxury brands are trying to concentrate on production in Europe anyway, um, if not the UK specifically. So I think maybe that hyperlocality in terms of production was much more kind of visible here than it would be in the US. I'm, I'm curious, this is more just for you personally, Zofia, but um, so being based in the UK and, and, and covering it from there, but working with like a U.S. team and and like hearing us talk about what's going on in the U.S. a lot, like what do you, what do you see as like some of the the bigger distinctions between like U.K. fashion and U.S. fashion, like from a not necessarily in like trends, but in like business, like on the business side, what are some of the issues they're facing? Like you said, the hyper locality I think is is more of interest to European brands, but um, I don't know. What, have you noticed any interesting parallels or distinctions between the U.S. and U.K. right now? Yeah, so I think that a lot of the the kind of distinctions between the US and the UK would be focused on the the kind of push for luxury brands in in Europe and the UK specifically. There's a lot of kind of heritage brands that are very tied into London, um, UK, Scotland that I think are very distinct. Um, I don't think that that's quite as present in in the US. I think that there's a lot of kind of more national companies who represent the US image, but definitely are not as kind of hyper-local as they are um, over here. Um, In terms of kind of other business aspects, I would say that it's mainly just the the production aspect of it, the fact that everything is easier to kind of get to within Europe, typically anyway, without Brexit. Um, Even now, though, I still feel like, you know, the production issues are much smaller. If there is anything, it's going to be for fast fashion. But there's also a lot of retailers here who produce within the UK, which has also raised problems. Um, But in terms of kind of mid and luxury brands, I think that the production aspect is definitely being tackled by focusing on local. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last thing, and then we'll wrap up. How what's the COVID situation in the UK right now um, in terms of like the Omicron variant and and like I don't know any restrictions going on? I'm just I feel like I'm in such a bubble here in New York that like even when I drive like two states away I like don't, everything's totally different. So wh- what was it like gathering together? Like did did you feel what was the energy like around that? Yeah, so I mean we obviously did have some kind of teething issues. I think a couple of people were ill but um obviously it was too early to say whether that was covid or not um and i think that it does seem to be 
at least affecting the population in terms of wearing masks. I don't think it's had any effect on the business as of yet. And um, in terms of the conferences, there's always been talk of, is there going to be a possible lockdown? Um, will there be you know, more restrictions put in place? But in terms of the government, I think that they've been trying to, to keep that kind of panic to as low a level as possible and, and really prioritising the booster jabs that they're going to be rolling out in January. So hopefully that won't have that much of an effect on retail because I think the British population is very keen to get back to socialising and shopping and interacting in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm trying to get my booster as soon as possible here, um, but hopefully you can get yours soon too. And uh, thank you for for walking us through it, Sophia. And we're very happy that we can finally have some good UK events with a glossy presence there. So um, very glad to have you. Yeah, definitely. Now here's just to more in the next year. 